And I'm going to ask you, if you're able to, to please stand as I read the word of the Lord. And I want you to get a picture of Jesus talking to you. I'm talking to you. Starting in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Please be seated. So if you weren't here last week, I want to give you a brief overview, and this is going to be, we're going to be building upon this. So uh, if if you miss a week, you might be missing something that helps a building block for you. So I know there was a recording last week, but I'm going to give a few main things right now for for a point of review, and this might just sort of jumpstart some of of you who were here last week, because I am well aware that you might have no idea what I preached on last week. So, So we're going to review First thing is that we can tend to turn the Bible to a gospel of sin management. We can create it as a, I'm going to let it control me, and I want it to control my sinfulness, and 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 that's what you're focused on, and you, you create a gospel, and that's not what the kingdom was meant to be. That's not what the gospel was meant to be. The other thing is that justification or the act of becoming saved, with the moment when Christ came in and the Holy Spirit initiated a work in you, that that has become the penultimate experience of many believers. So we've had justification that is taking the place and sort of carried on instead of regeneration having its full effect. So instead of becoming more Christ-like, we're more concerned that we're saved. Whereas regeneration is evidence that we're saved. So becoming more like Jesus is an evidence of our justification. If all we're clinging to is justification without an evidence of regeneration, we might not be justified. That's not condemning from me to you. That is just speaking the truth. Third is that there are three kingdoms. Um... There's, there's one that uh, we should be aware that Jesus mentioned about the kingdom of God, where the kingdom of God is here for the here and now, and it's meant for us, and it's meant for us to walk in, it's meant for us to live out in our communities, in our jobs, everywhere we are. The kingdom is supposed to go before us. 
But we have a problem that just because the kingdom of God is here, that doesn't mean the others are erased. So we have the kingdom of Satan. The enemy is constantly at work in your life and mine to disrupt the kingdom of God flowing from us. I'm going to say it again. The kingdom of Satan is, he is out to destroy the work of the kingdom of God within you and me, and he will use whatever means he has to do it. And then there's a third one, which we tend to blame on Satan, but it's our own kingdom. The third one's a little more devious in the sense that we want to blame Satan for our stuff, and really it's our thing. We've, we've clung to justification and not regeneration. We've not desired to be more Christ-like, and so we live in a world that the kingdom is all about me. It's about my flesh, and it's about my will be done. And so when we, we hear that, we have to ask ourselves on a daily basis, which kingdom am I living in? And that's a question that you probably know the answer to. And if it's not the kingdom of God, you have to uh, find a way to address that. So I'm not here to condemn that. I'm just here to speak it. Jesus is going to answer in, in much of the Sermon on the Mount four questions. What is the reality? It's God and his kingdom is the reality. Who is blessed or who has the good life? Anyone who is alive in God's kingdom. Who is really a good person? Those who are immersed or uh, just oozing out agape love. How do you become a really good person? Apprentice yourself under Jesus Christ. Four questions Jesus is going to answer. That sounds simple, right? That's easy. So last week we talked, and I just read, the Beatitudes. Those are supposed to be our attitude when it comes to things. And the Beatitudes describe the essential character of the disciples of Jesus, the, the essential characteristics, the heart of a believer. We can look at them and go, oh, that's too much. For us, it absolutely is alone. It's impossible. Those things are impossible apart from Christ. But we are called, those are things that we are called to live by the power of the Spirit of God. Does anyone disagree with that in your head? Or is that pretty simple, right? So the, um, the second thing is that what we're going to get into is that the salt and light metaphor indicate uh, the influence for good in the world. It, it, it indicates if we're being salt and light in the world. It's saying if we're living and our character is being transformed by apprenticing under Jesus Christ, that we will begin to become salt and light in the world. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some time to unpack that. So we go from the blessings of the Beatitudes. Remember, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you, to what we're moving into now, the responsibilities of the believer. We're only blessed if that is our attitude in Christ, and we can't do that on our own. I, I, I want to just complete, completely pound this in. So the metaphors are important that we move from blessedness 
to responsibility. So verse 13 says, Jesus is saying this to you and me, but I'm just going to be, you are the salt of the earth. He's looking to his disciples. If you consider yourself a Christian this morning, he's saying you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So let me just uh, uh, tear apart some things that I have even struggled with, and I've read that because I've gone, man, there's times when I feel like my salt has lost its saltiness. Some people you know me say I'm very salty, so you, it's not in that way. He is not saying that if you've lost your salt, your saltiness, if you've not lost it, that you're no good and that you're worthless and it's over. He is not saying that. So don't read this from a defeated thing going, man, my, I know my salt's lost. It's, it's, it's flavor and it's everything. I know, don't do that. It's not saying that. I'm going to pack why. So I want to show you uh, sodium chloride. I am not a chemist or a biologist, and some of you know this well. I'm not that guy. But this is what makes up salt. And some of the properties of sodium chloride are as follows. It is easily soluble in water. You know, so it'll melt. So, you know, the difference between putting salt in water and then putting sugar, if you don't put sugar in warm water, tea makers of the world, southern people who do tea right, you have to have the tea warm or hot for the sugar to dissolve, right? Salt, not so much. It gets in there, it dissolves, and it, and it, and it, and it really, um, it just goes away pretty quickly. Second is um, it does not have an odor per se, and it, but it possesses taste. So from a, a spiritual perspective, I want you to think about it. You're not supposed to have an odor. It's not talking about taking a bath. That's good. But in essence, your spirit is not supposed to stink. And yet, it's supposed to have a taste to it. Now, we all know that too much salt is not a good thing. The nutritionist tell me that. My kidney doctor tells me that. I need to, to go with that. But salt, in the metaphor that is being spoken here, it is, doesn't have a smell, but it has a distinct flavor, and it's used and it's added to things to improve its taste. Many of you chefs out there know that. Some of you just put salt on just because. And you need to watch that. Taste it first, but put it on. In the state of water, it is a good conductor of electricity. So if you watch Stranger Things, you don't have to say it if you did, I don't know, but if you watch Stranger Things, when they put that young girl, 11 I think is her name, in the water, they poured salt all in the water because it conducted electricity. It's a chemical thing. And so uh, it is a good conductor of electricity because the movements of ions, it just moves freely. The other thing is it has a high melting point. 
And I'm not good with Celsius, but it's had 801 degree Celsius melting point, which is higher than Fahrenheit, correct? You uh, good people at metric system. And boiling point of 1,413 degrees Celsius. Has a high melting point, and it has a high boiling point. Are you applying this some to you right now? I'm not supposed to stink. I'm supposed to have a good flavor. I'm not supposed to get a high boiling point. It's supposed to take a whole lot for me to boil over. And I'm not supposed to melt. Easily, readily. Those are the properties of salt. In the spiritual realm, in the time of Jesus, salt was valuable. We go to and get the Morton box of salt or the jar box or whatever you call it, the cardboard thing of salt, it's under a dollar. I think it's like 50 to 60 cents. Back in those days, it wasn't the case. It used to make, they would make transactions based upon it. They would make covenants based upon it. Matter of fact, in the Old Testament, it talks about making a covenant of salt. It had value. People were even paid with salt, which is where the term salary comes from. Salt was also connected with healing and purity. It was known to heal. It has those characteristics. Salt water, when it's applied to infections, it helps clean a wound up. So if you're out in salt water... It is not a bad thing if you got cut. I actually got cut last week, and I took my bleeding thumb, and I just stuck it in salt water, and I just sort of shook it out, cleans it. It, it disinfects. Now, that combined with the babe bacteria, you all might be cringing at that, but we're going to die somehow. Uh, but that's what salt does. In the old days, newborn babies were washed in salt water. Salt was also connected with Preserving meat or other things. It's a preservative. So in, uh, before there were times of dehydrators and such, they would take and they would take things they wanted to keep and take coarse salt and just put it all in it. If you're a fisherman, if you're an offshore fisherman, offshore fishermen take ballyhoo and keep them in salt and because and it keeps the, the uh, fish, the, the ballyhoo skin, from deteriorating as quickly when it's used as a bait. It keeps something from dying as quickly. Salt also is connected with flavor we talked about. It's a spice of life, a flavor of food. But it was also connected to worship. In the Old Testament, Leviticus, it says, season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offering. Add salt to your offerings. So salt is part of an offering to God. I just want you to begin building a foundation because if you think 
that doing the Beatitudes or doing and being salt of the earth without having a true measure of salt in your own life and being reflected to by the character of the Beatitudes, you're going to go out and be some stinky, diluted salt that has a low boiling point. I'm of the opinion, opinion, that we have far too long done our best to get by with nominal worship. I mean, not that we're not pouring our heart out. And, and please take it generally. I'm not looking at you as individuals. But take what is true and throw out the rest. And we just try to get by. And our idea of being salt is maybe reading our Bible in the morning and acknowledging it work that we're a Christian. Does our salt have value? Is it healing? Is it purifying? Now, there's a term in the theological things in the Bible called total depravity. And oftentimes when I talk about the goodness of people, people mistake the difference between total depravity and utter depravity. Total depravity was something that was, is coined in many ways by John Calvin, but has been used in other, other ways. But it, it generally means that within us, there is always a propensity to do the wrong thing. And um, humanistic views of total depravity or of sin see it as the edge or periphery of human life. It's not really that big a deal. It's, you know, there's bad things in some people, but it's okay, and it doesn't really need to be addressed. Biblical Christianity teaches that it permeates the core of every being. Now, I don't know how much movies you watch or TV, but have you ever seen Lord of the Flies? I mean, if you watch movies from the idea of the depravity of man, you will see it so many times, it'll blow your mind. If you look at your life from the times that we've lied, cheated, stole, hit, abused, cursed, whatever like that, the depravity of man is everywhere within us. But the world sees it. The world addresses this good versus evil thing. We see it in Star Wars, right? You've got the good side and the bad side. And then what you see is that the good side has bad in it as well, and the bad side has good in it. Nietzsche, uh, a philosopher, a German philosopher, he struggled with this all his life. And yet he saw the value of a structure of moral character that the Christianity brought into the world. So our world is, is, is addressing, when we see school shootings, we see things that lead towards utter depravity of man. It's like if you were to picture Hitler that becomes more utter depravity. When you've gone the full cycle of the things that you can do to its fullest, that's taking total depravity and ramping it up. 
So if you, if you think theologically and you go, well, I'm not a good person, it doesn't mean there's not good in you. It means at the core of your heart is the propensity to do evil. And I'd like to think if you're honest, you've seen it in your own life or you haven't lived long enough. And so humanists go, well, you know, I am a generally good person. And so, you know, when, when Jesus said these things, oh, that's nice, it's blessed and everything, but Jesus is going, you can't do this apart from me. You are salt. So Jesus is pretty much going, I'm leaving, and you are the salt. You can't get out of that equation if you call yourself a Christian. You just can't do it. So this radical corruption of the heart that we should all see, if we're honest with ourselves, and we see it in, expressed in the news, we see it everywhere we look. This depravity of the heart, this radical corruption. That might be easier for you than total depravity. Radical corruption. People get confused with total and utter depravity. But if you don't understand total depravity, you're really not going to see the problem in this world. You're going to think that you can just do good enough and be a good example and everything's going to be okay. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 says, But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions or trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. We were dead in our trespasses, and God loved us so much that he made us alive in Christ. Our depravity put that separation who can separate us from the love of God more as what can separate us our sins separated but Jesus removed that separation in Christ but total depravity is is what is going on in our world when you see planned parenthood acknowledging that they adjusted their abortion rules so that they could sell human body parts and make money off of it, you see evidences of depravity. When you see you're upset at your spouse and you say horrific things to them, you are seeing signs of depravity. When you have not forgiven somebody because it takes too much work to do that, you are seeing signs of depravity. Jesus says, has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Dang. I'm salt. If I'm not salty, I have no value. What does that mean? We can't just take a surface look at this. Look at this next picture. At best, at best, this is the spiritual state of the church in America generally. At best, and I'm going to explain that. 
We assemble our salt within the building. We have a come here and experience the salt of the earth. We stockpile salt. And at best, and you can see some uh, impurities within that picture, but at best, we stockpile generally as a church. Not all, not all. And again, it's not utter versus total. But the church cannot be a storehouse of salt. Said more simply, we cannot be assembled inside the church and be salt to the earth. This is not Jesus' example of what it means to be the church. Salt that is stored creates bloating. Nurses, doctors, etc., people who are familiar know that if you have too much salt, so I've had two times in my life when I've experienced swelling. One was from a medication very recently, and the other when I went to sea base in Florida with my son, and we stayed on this deserted island you know, for, and for like a week, and we ate salty food, and we drank salt water accidentally, and we were hot all the time. And I slept inadvertently with my feet down. And all of a sudden, I realized I had big old swollen feet that I used to look at my dad all the time when he would complain that his feet were swollen because he has some medical issues. And I'm like, I feel exactly what you feel now. But salt, without the ability to get out, creates bloating and sickness and nausea. And let me transition that. Anxiety, stress, Depression, etc., etc., etc. So if you are stockpiling salt in your life, you're bloated spiritually. You are the salt of the earth. But if its salt has lost its taste, how shall a saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. I want to introduce you to a new word of the day. You might know it, but I didn't know it. I had to look it up. I'm a little embarrassed, but I'm going to acknowledge it in front of you all. Insipid. Now I'm going to have fun with y'all. Who honestly knew what that word meant? Does anyone know what it means? One person, two people in this room. Okay, a couple people. It means lacking flavor. So let me say, it's like I had multiple cups, which I usually won't, of insipid coffee. You ever gone somewhere like a hotel or a fast, uh, or like a truck stop? That now they're actually better, but it used to in the old days, truck stops would have horrific coffee. And I'd rather not have coffee than drink the coffee. And I love coffee. I can get into my idolatry with coffee. Uh, if they tell me that I can't drink coffee, I'm going to drink coffee. But I'm not going to drink insipid coffee. I'm not going to drink coffee that lacks flavor.
and I wonder at times how I'm viewed in the world. How much flavor, the flavor, the aroma of Christ is there in my life. How much bloating is there. Matter of fact, you should be familiar with what salt looks like when it's seen its end course, at least with us. It looks like this. It's been diluted. I've never licked it before like that. I literally saw it this morning on my shoe, a line of salt. It has no redeeming value for me. We look at that and we want to pressure wash it if you're a neat freak. Other than you're going to hide it with a carpet. But when salt has been diluted, historically when Jesus was talking, there was a group of people that lived on the, near the Sea of Galilee. He was preaching near, preaching near the Sea of Galilee and there was a dead sea. And these people would hoard their salt and then they would take it and it would become diluted by the elements and eventually it just became only good for just sort of being on the road and, and forming like a, a sense of gravel. It had no value anymore. Has your salt been diluted? Craig Blomberg says this, believers who fail to arrest corruption become worthless as agents of change and redemption, excuse me, as agents of change and redemption. Christianity may make its peace with the world and avoid persecution, but it, thereby, it is thereby rendered impudent to fulfill its divinely ordained role. It will thus ultimately be rejected even by those with whom it has sought compromise. If you believe in total depravity, if you understand where I walked you through that, then you would know that we are called to be a preservative agent to the fallenness of this world. We can't heal it, but we can prevent it from getting worse and worse. We're actually called to do that. In relationship to this quote, if we um, fail to deal with corruption, if we fail to influence our society and to be salt and light, which is going to come up in a moment, then we have been rendered impudent and we have no power. And what has been the church's answer, and I'm gonna say for myself too, so please, I'm, I'm together with you on this. 
Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. That was my children's church answer. Some of you know that song. Read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day. I'm not going to do the whole thing, and you'll grow, grow, grow. That's nice, and it's necessary. But if the salt has become diluted and lacking power, let me say it a different way. If your life has become diluted and lacking power and you go out in the world and you feel defeated, it's because that you're not being a demonstration of the power that Jesus has given you. And some of that is because we're fearful of being rejected. The end of the, uh, I think, verse 12, right at the end of what I read, we fear rejection, we fear persecution, and we're, we're f- fearful of that. Verse 14, it says, You are the light of the world. A city on the hill cannot be hidden. The church is to have a double role. The salt to arrest the dying or slow down the dying of social decay and the, and the, the light to dispel its darkness. We're supposed to go in. If we say we believe what we believe, that we have the light of the world, and that's Jesus, we aren't the light, we carry the light. Hear that. If you think you can change anybody, you are the biggest of fools. I saw a meme this week, and I thought it was hilarious, but I didn't want to post it to create social drama. It was to women, and it said, unless... Uh, the man that you are, are, are trying to change has a diaper on. You cannot change him. <laughs> Easy, Vincent. Don't get me off track. <laughs> but we all know, any of us who've lived for any amount of time, Know how we have tried to change people. I want to say I'm done. Dear Lord, I pray I'm done, but I don't believe that. I, I believe I'm totally depraved, and I'll pick it right back up again. But we're called to dispel darkness. We're called to go into darkness with a spotlight. People aren't going to like that. You've got to do it so you don't stink in how you do it. Salt, remember salt? You've got to bring it in. Illuminate it. And the light is Jesus. It's not you or me. You go, hey, I'm the chief of sinners. Paul said that. I'm just as jacked up as you, but this is wrong. This is against God's code. This is against what, how he wants you to live. Even non-Christians can somewhat understand that. And if you at least share it, you are saying that I love you. You are beginning, beginning to demonstrate agape love for the world, and you risk people not liking you. So be it. winsomely do it well be a light carry the light in order to do that your character has to be transformed that's why the be attitudes are before this 
You can't do this unless you are working on allowing God to change your character. It's useless. It becomes a works mentality. Read your Bible more. I condone reading your Bible. It's necessary. But if your character is not changed, you're no different than Nazi Germany. They read their Bible. Do you know your history? So whether you're a fascist who might sling to and use religion to control things or a a communist who just wants to have totalitarian rule with no law, you are broken in that structure unless you're the one in power. Jesus abolished all that. He went to the temple and cast crap over because he said, your way of having power is not my way. I come to serve. But I think in an American church, I think we come to serve ourselves. Fast food Sunday. I want to drive by. I want to get a little morsel to make me feel good and get me through the week. But if your character's not being transformed, your salt is being diluted, and it might as well just be cast out on the ground. It's what Jesus said, not me. Nor do people light a lamp and pour it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Does your light shine at work? Does it shine at home? Does it shine in a restaurant? Does it shine behind the slow person in the fast lane? I'm going to say no for me. Does it shine? Verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I'm going to end with this, but I I want you to get something here. Don't miss this. Don't check out. I shouldn't have said I'm going to end here. Don't check out. We often take this verse first. Let your light shine. I'm just going to let Jesus shine in me, and I'm going to do good works. And people are going to give glory to God. Sounds great, doesn't it? And it's legit. The world will sniff out your character and your value of your salt before they'll ever give glory to God if your character doesn't begin to align with the Beatitudes that Jesus gave. There are non-Christian mission-type people that are doing better work or just as good of work as non-Christians out there. What needs to be different for a Christian? Man looks on what? Outward appearance, but God looks at what? Very good. If you start here, you will crash and burn. You will get exhausted trying to fix people. You'll get exhausted trying to be good. You'll get completely exhausted. You might get burned out. You might get angry at Christians. You might get angry at God, and you'll get, I'm done. But if you start 
with the Beatitudes and say, Jesus, I can't do this. This is regeneration. This is recreation. It's new life. I can't do this, Lord. I can't be a peacemaker on my own. But you can make me, and I want to be obedient to you. Let me do this. This is the promise that God, that people will see God's salt and light in you if it emanates from the Father, if it's powered by the Spirit, not powered by our activity or our effort. If you live long enough, that will exhaust you. This morning, as we stand and come to communion, if you would, just please stand. I guess my goal would be for you maybe three things this morning as you come to communion. Ultimately, if you don't know Jesus Christ, this, this really wasn't for you. This is just a, a evidence of what is going on in the church. And Jesus spoke to the church here on the side. He spoke to his people, and this is what he did. But he comes and he offers you his love, his unconditional love, his justification that you may stand that as forgiven before the Father. If you want that, I ask and invite you to pray in your seat or please come up and, and, and uh, talk to someone up here. We'd love to pray with you. Two, if you acknowledge that your salt it might as well just be discarded on the road right now, it's okay, but it doesn't mean there's not hope. It doesn't mean there's not hope. Begin reading the Beatitudes. We're going to be in an all fall. Ask God to change you. Ask God to come in and say, God, I've lost my saltiness. Who can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is for after salvation, not just for salvation. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. The only way to be good salt is to be filtered and worked out by the Father, and he's doing that work in us. He's doing it. Third and last, are you carrying the light of Jesus? Not are you keeping your own light lit, but are you just bringing Jesus into every part of your life? Lord, as we come to communion, I just want to thank you for the Sermon on the Mount. I thank you that Jesus turned over the way of rule, Lord, that so many humans follow, that we follow, Lord. He upended it. Lord, I pray that you would upend us. Lord, not to break us, not to make us mope down the aisle, but to say, Lord, that's what I want. Man, I want to be salty again. I want to have taste and flavor and be a preservative to this dying world. Make it so, Jesus, in my life. Change me first. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.